What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 137, that's right, episode 137 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Go leave a five-star rating and a friendly comment right on your Apple Podcast app, rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Today's show, Jackson Frank of The Athletic joins in. Jackson also writes about the NBA draft for the step back and dime up rocks. Jackson recently had a great article on Dame Lillard's recent scoring spree. We discussed that, some of the NBA draft prospects, Houston Rockets small ball, and much, much more. You can follow Jackson on Twitter at Jackson Frank underscore JJF. That's J A C K F R A N K underscore JJF. F, you know you can follow me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca on the track. Jackson Frank of The Athletic, welcome to Combo Score, man. How are you feeling today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Great piece about Dame Willard, by the way. How long have you been writing and what are some of the platforms you've, you've worked with? Uh, I've been writing now officially for about four years. I started uh, January 2017 during my school newspaper. So uh, I guess three years technically. So some of the places I've written for previously are B-Ball Breakdown. I used to write for Liberty Ballers and cover the Sixers. Um, I did some Sixers coverage at The Athletic uh, last year and a little bit this year. Uh, and currently, I am at Fan Sides of Step Back, uh, Dime Up Rocks, and The Athletic doing some Gonzaga Men's basketball coverage and NBA draft coverage and then the NBA at large. Nice. Oh, so you worked with Nick at B-Ball Breakdown. We've had him on the show a bunch of times. Yeah, it was like he wasn't the editor, so I didn't really interact with him specifically. But it was it was like his site, and he had an editor who looked over all our stuff, but he kind of just hosted it. And sponsored it, I guess, and was always good about retweeting our work, which was which is much appreciated because he has such a huge platform. Got you, got you. Yep, uh, Nick's a great guy. Have him on the podcast often. So let's start with Dame, man, because it was a great article. I actually read it today. His latest scoring spree. Where does it rank all time for you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a tough. That's a tough one to contextualize specifically, but it's definitely one of the the more impressive ones I've seen since I started watching basketball pretty seriously. It feels kind of similar to the one Harden went on last year to an extent um, when the Rockets. I think. Uh, I think maybe CP3 might have been injured and, and Harden was just doing everything he could to kind of drag the Rockets to a competitiveness. Uh, kind of the same way this year, the Blades are down a lot of healthy bodies and Dame just kind of, I mean, I think they won four or five in a row against playoff teams when Dame was going off on that that uh, spree. So, yeah, I, I couldn't give you a specific ranking in terms of what I've seen over my my span, but it definitely is one of the more impressive ones, I'm sure. I'm sure Steph had a run in one of his MVP years, KD, uh Harden, obviously like I said, but um not many that, that I think rival it, but also there could be some recency bias there. Yeah, you mentioned Steph. It'd be funny to see, it would be interesting to see how Dame would play in a system like with the Warriors, because he never had a team like that with that kind of spacing. Yeah, for sure. Um one of the things I mentioned in my piece is like a lot of his deep range stuff is reminiscent of Steph, but the level to which he's having to 
kind of create for himself as much like Harden in terms of assisted versus unassisted baskets. Um, so I'd be interested to see kind of, it would be interesting to see Dame in that role because they use Steph more off the ball because he's so good off the screens and the way he can command defenses um, and play off the ball. The luxury of letting a guy like Katie or Draymond or someone initiate the offense isn't something that the Blazers have really um, been able to do. I mean, you have CJ there and obviously Nurkic when healthy can run some stuff through the high post, but um, not really the same type of thing with, with having a KD or a dream on, like I said. Right. Let's shift to Houston. I have this weird, wacky theory. I mean, the idea has obviously been floated out there before, but I think this will push the idea of moving back the three-point line, especially if Houston plays really well the way they're playing and teams start to copy it. I just feel like it's inevitable that the line will be pushed back. What say you? Yeah, that that's interesting because the the three the college line just got moved back to closer resemble the NBA line. Right. Um, so I, I'm curious. I, I would worry though that maybe the league has already seen this offensive surge, and I guess it is good for ratings. But you know, there people enjoy watching kind of the offensive explosion. But I don't necessarily know if it'd be good for defense and spread them out more and make things tougher on them. So I'm I'd be curious to kind of see how the league views that. Obviously, they all these guys like Lillard and Steph and Dame and these guys putting up crazy numbers. I said Lillard, I said Lillard twice, I meant Harden. Um, doing these things is, is awesome for fans, but um, it's made things really tough on defenses with some of the new rules and all this spacing. And um, so I could definitely see, I could definitely foresee a future where the line is pushed back somewhat, but I just do kind of wonder what the ripple effect would be there for defenses, which are already kind of in a very tough spot with the way teams are able to already spread people out and, and all that and the rules with hand checking and, and whatnot. You know, you see the, the implementation of the zone uh, that would make it even tougher if they had to kind of account for that more, I guess. Speaking of, um, you know, we keep, we keep mentioning Dame and, and Steph and Harden, you know, I read Kirk Goldsberry book. He thinks that it won't really affect them too much. Just the players that are the average three point shooters, that will make their way back to the mid range and make it a more even balanced attack. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, yeah, that would be an interesting kind of theory there because there would be, because the mid range would be a wider, I mean, the kind of the vague mid-range term would be a wider portion of the court at that point if you spread the three-point line back. Um, so I would be interested to see how teams balance that, get into their spots, because, I mean, guys just kind of have spots on the court they like to, you know, frequent. And um, I think if you extend the three-point line back, that would kind of alter how people approach it to an extent. So, I, yeah, I'd be curious to kind of see how the shot distribution would change for some players. Um, obviously, I don't think it really affect Dame a ton because right. he's – because he has, he's shown the, the comfort to shoot from well beyond the line. Um, even Harden, to an extent, I mean, Harden operates a lot more kind of right behind the line, but he's also shown that ability to create space on the step backs and shoot those 28, 29, 30 footers. But yeah, a lot of those guys kind of hug the line. Maybe those spot up shooters, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they, how that kind of affects them. Um, I haven't read Kirk's book, but uh, obviously he does a lot of good work and studies that type of stuff. So I would probably defer to him. And if that's what he says, it would definitely be something I could support. Right, right. I feel that Westbrook, and feel free to chime in, um, I feel that Westbrook is slowly becoming the go-to guy of Houston because of his inability to shoot and his ability to attack space. What do you think about that? And have you ever looked at Harden's spot-up numbers? I haven't recently. I, did, I, I wrote a little piece on their fit uh, over the summer when that trade was announced. But, um, yeah, I, have, I mean, I know Harden's – I know at one point I was, when I was doing my research for the Lillard piece, I – Harden's obviously the only other guy who can, who the only guy who out, out, outpaces him in volume off the dribble. Um, but I think he's this year, I think he's at like 30, just under 36% on pull up threes. Um, and I would imagine he's at just under that overall in the year. So 
Um, I haven't looked at those numbers, but I would imagine it's a pretty low total and it'd be kind of right around the same as his pull-up numbers. But yeah, I mean, the, the Houston games I have watched recently, um, they're trapping Harden so aggressively a lot of times. And like you said, that is giving Westbrook a lot of room to eat up space and attack the rim. And he's been playing a lot better as of, as of late as well. Um, really kind of starting to find his his comfort there. and Because that, that is a little bit of a tough role. You know, he's been such a high usage guy. It has he's dominates the ball, so he has time to kind of construct what he wants to do. And as someone who's not a historically a great decision maker, I think you're seeing him kind of grow more comfortable in those times where he has like kind of a split second to either attack the rim or make the kick out pass for three or hit or previously when Capella was there, you know, make the dump off pass for for a dunk or something. And you're seeing him grow more comfortable in those times when he only has three seconds to do something rather than twelve seconds when he's running a pick and roll or standing up top and directing the offense himself like he did with the Thunder. Right, because, you know, I mean, Harden could attack space and he could shoot the three ball very well. Westbrook could really only attack space. So I feel like for this thing to work, Westbrook's going to have a high usage rate in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think I'm trying to look at his splits right now, um, monthly splits. And, yeah, I mean, his his usage has gone up every month. Uh, Right. It was about 27 at the start of the year. It's all the way up to 40% in four February games. was at 36% last um, month. So, yeah, you're definitely seeing uh, teams – I think partially it's a Houston thing. They're letting him do a little more, but also teams would prefer maybe for him to be the one making decisions offensively compared to Harden, who is just a better player at this point than Westbrook. And so um, – but you're, you're also seeing Russ thrive in this new this new use of Jimmy. He was at uh, – on the year, he was only at 53% true shooting, but the last two months he's been right around 57%. Yeah, um, and, and he so, stopped shooting the three. I wonder whose decision that was. Was it his <laughs> decision, or they told him to stop shooting it? I mean, Westbrook doesn't seem like the type of player that would really listen to anybody. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you want. I mean, he and he and Harden have such a relationship, so maybe there's something there that they trust each other. And if he's telling not to, but yeah, I mean, he's only he shot 24 threes last month. He's only shot 10 this month, so right around two a game. Um, he was averaging, averaging closer to five or six or four the first three months. So. Um, yeah, and that, that's a good decision. He is such – he struggled so much to shoot the three the last couple of years, and he's so good in space and kind of making decisions and putting pressure on the rim, whether for it's to create for himself or uh, an open three on a, on a kickout pass. Um, but, yeah, he's really getting comfortable. He's averaging over 30, 30 a game on just over league average true shooting the last couple months, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and playing a lot of minutes, right around 37 minutes the last three months, two and a half months, which is pretty crazy. Um and he seems like he's moving better, too. He seems like he has a little more power. Yeah. yeah, I think his stamina is one of those things that kind of went underrated. He plays so hard and so fast for so long, and he's been right. able to play his heavy minutes, um, which is a testament to him. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see how this Houston thing and this experiment kind of unfolds moving forward. Um, obviously, they had that, that great win uh, against the Lakers maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Um, but they've struggled a bit recently. They lost to Utah. They lost to Phoenix, I think, right after that uh, that game when they beat the Lakers. So. Um, it's it's a fascinating experience and one of those experiments, excuse me, uh, and one of those things that I, I think teams will, uh, you know, kind of, they're going to have to, you know, it's going to be an interesting data point just for teams with this small ball type offense with all these, these initiators who like to attack the rim or like to shoot threes. Um, so, yeah, well, since they started, I think they're two and two. Um, obviously, Russ didn't play when they got blown up by Phoenix, but, um, yeah, I'm just really curious to see um, how this unfolds and if they can make a Western Conference Finals or make the finals finally, um, and just kind of see how the success works with no no center in there.
Yeah, if they do make it that far, do you feel like it'll change the landscape of the NBA and the way teams play? Because you know it is a copycat league. Yeah, I think I think teams will try to emulate it, but kind of like the Warriors, I don't necessarily think it will work that well because like you don't have Harden's don't grow on trees and guys like Russ who kind of complement the way Harden's being guarded now don't grow on trees. You don't have right. Robert Covington all the time who was such a good team defender and he's so physical for his size too, which I think help helps. Same with PJ Tucker. Um, obviously they're not going to be able to stop the Anthony Davises or um, a Joel Embiid, for example, but um, against some of those lesser guys, you're going to see their physicality and team defense really shine. Um, I guess those lesser centers, I should say. Um, Jokic is another guy they'll probably struggle with to an extent, but the thing I, I think they have working in their favor is the fact that while Anthony Davis is, he is a big man. He, he does a lot of his work inside. He plays a little more finesse based than I think is optimal for exploiting that, that kind of small size, the league, the Rockets tout, but a guy like Jokic, you know, is someone's a little more physical in the post. So uh, I, I do think it'll be a fascinating experience experiment to use, but teams, and if it does have success, teams will definitely try and emulate it, but I would be skeptical of it of that being able to work for others because it requires specific kind of skill sets and skill levels that I don't think most other teams will be able to, to have with Harden and Westbrook and, and uh, Kevin Dean kind of being the, the leading pillars, I think. Agreed. And, and it is super fascinating. I can't, dis- I can't wait to see how this unfolds and how it might change the landscape of the league if things go well. Let's shift to Zion. Um, teams are still trying to figure him out. Uh, I think New Orleans is still trying to figure out how to use his skill set. How would you like to see Zion's skill set used in the future? Um, I think they've honestly done such a good job for the most part thus far. Gentry, I think, is a really good uh, offensive coach in terms of putting his players in the positions they can succeed in, and you're seeing that a lot with, with Zion. I mean, he's just a historic scorer so far. I haven't contextualized it compared to other guys yet, but, I mean, he's averaging, let's see, per, per 36, he's averaging 29 points, and he's got 62% true shooting. Um, which is just a wild efficiency for a guy who was 10 games into his rookie year and it really hasn't played organized basketball. Um, I guess he plays in preseason games, but before that it was 10 minutes in summer league and then it was March. So, yeah, back in March when he was with Duke. So the way I'd like to see him use maybe a little more is as a face-up score. Um, I think he's doing a really good job of getting Zion the ball on the catch and kind of using his momentum or they're posting him up and just throwing the ball because he's such a dominant finisher inside. I don't think his raw finishing numbers at the rim are anything incredible, but because he rebounds so many of his misses right. uh, or gets fouled, that he is he's already a dominant interior scorer. So a um, little more face-up scoring, then maybe some more pick-and-roll uh, action. I want to see him kind of be able to create for himself or others in that short roll situation. Um, but for the most part, the Pelicans done an awesome job using him, uh, and that's evidence through the, his efficiency and in raw scoring volume, I think he's what had two of the last three games has had like over 30 points. So I'm um, really starting to kind of find a stride and get his legs under him. You think he's kind of starting to get his pop back a little bit too. You didn't quite see that same vertical explosiveness the first few games that he had at Duke and that's to be expected. Yeah. I mean, some would like to see him in a more Draymond green, like point forward type of role, but I don't really think that fits with Lonzo and, and Brandon Ingram but his passing ability is great and I could see it in the future, you know, and just him having the basketball in his hands. I think good things would happen for a team that would use Zion's skill set in that way. Yeah, for sure. I think the, yeah, the issue with trying to put him in Draymond role is that worked because Clay and Steph were such good off ball players and even KD to an extent because KD kind of got better navigating off the ball uh, with Golden State. But Lonzo, is, he's like a, he's like a connector and a complimentary player, but he does operate really well with the ball in his hands. 
Um, Ingram's yes. the same way. He's he's a methodical player um, when he has the ball in his hands too. So and an uh, amazing improvement this year. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, incredible the shooting the shooting development. It's awesome to see for him. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's interesting how New Orleans moves forward because the goal shouldn't be for Zion to fit around these other guys. It should be to see how they fit around Zion because he's he's clearly their the most important piece moving forward. But I think the way you're going to see Zion's passing shine a lot too is in transition. He and Lonzo are just an incredible match in that in that case. Um, Lonzo's propensity for those hit ahead passes. Yes. Because um, Zion plays, he runs he runs the floor pretty well, and so he just seals his man off and. Lonzo hucks a 45 foot bomb and it's an easy bucket for, for uh, Zion. So I'm curious to see if they let, if they kind of let Zion do a little more transition creation. Um, I was really impressed with that last year at Duke. I thought he was kind of a, a play finisher and a play starter in transition, which is pretty impressive for him. But obviously that's tough to balance because Lonzo was so good in that, that kind of play starter role and Zion's so great as a finisher on the in transition. But that's where I'm hoping to see maybe some of the, uh, the passing shine a little more because it's tough and it's tough on in the half court because like, the best idea, most most efficient shot or most efficient decision for him probably is to shoot the ball if he's anywhere near the rim. So you don't want to you don't want to take that away from him too much. I have been concerned with the way Zion has been running. I do see a limp. Do you see the same? Uh, somewhat. I mean, he just has a very awkward and unorthodox gait. Goes back to Duke too. Um, I'm not I'm not fluent enough with the biomechanics to really really right. do it too much. But um, yeah, it's definitely unorthodox and. I I don't I don't know if it's definitely if it's necessarily different than it was at Duke, um, but even then it was it was an out, outlandish way to kind of run. It's not like he even runs; he kind of just like I don't know how to describe waddles. it. He, waddles, yeah, kind of. But like, or just like he's able to like I don't know, just like bounce back and forth and like move forward or backward or whatever. It, it doesn't is. look real with how fast he. Gets, yeah, he gets, yeah, it's, it's a weird it's a weird gait for sure. Um, but that's just kind of outside of my area of expertise, but. Um, I am curious. I know they were saying when he was rehabbing, they were. It was there was a report that came out that New Orleans is trying to get him to kind of adjust right. uh, how to run and walk. So I'm curious to see how that develops. I'd imagine that's something. If it does occur, you'll see a lot. It'll be a lot more noticeable next year. Um, just when he has a full offseason to kind of recalibrate his gait, if that's something they would want to continue to encourage. Um, but yeah, I mean that's always been the way it is. But it, it's just a funny thing. It's, out of all the things that are awesome to watch about Zion, that one's just a kind of a funny wrinkle with with him for sure. Right. And defensively, are you concerned with his issues of lateral movement? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I definitely think that's something I probably oversold. Um, we just want to analyze him as a prospect last year. Um, but it does seem like he's doing a little better uh, in recent games. Um, I haven't been able to catch as many as the last few games that I watched. I think I watched three or four of his first five. I want to cut a couple of sin- couple since then. Um, but it does seem like he's kind of starting to make more plays off the ball. That's the player area that was so concerning early in the years um i thought he was really good in that role at duke yeah i think he averaged like four steals slash blocks per game at duke he's not even he's barely over one this year obviously he's playing a little less um but i think it has upticked a little bit just in terms of instincts kind of coming back and the awareness off the ball to make plays but yeah he's not someone i i think i don't really want switching too much yeah uh, i i was probably like i said i was a little more confident in that coming into the year but uh, it's really tough to know for sure just because I, I don't think he's anywhere close to just 100% back in terms of his rhythm and that explosiveness and all that. So I am curious to see how it progressive, pr- progresses, but his defense definitely has been a little concerning uh, the first 10 games. I hope Zion stays healthy. It's great for New Orleans. It's great for the league. Let's shift to some college basketball. Uh, Cole Anthony, man, what have you learned about his game this college season? Is he what you thought he would be as a college player? Uh, no, not at all. I... <laughs> 
he has been, yeah, definitely one of the, the most disappointing uh, parts of this draft class. This draft class in general is a bummer, but um, yeah, I was huge on Quill Anthony coming into the year. Uh, he was just pretty much dominant at every level. Uh, FIBA, AAU, high school, uh, just an incredible shooter, pretty good pla- passer too. I liked his, I liked his defense relative to kind of the offensive role he had to embody. Um, I thought he was at least smart enough on that end, but yeah, I don't know exactly. No, it's really it's a really tough evaluation. Um, I tweeted it yesterday, but he's going to be someone who's a fascinating data point for for a pl- for evaluating prospects in terms of what they did before college and what they did in college, um, in terms of how successfully he turns out to be in the NBA. Um, but yeah, really really disappointed with his overall efficiency. Um, I think he's even his passing decision making has has really been underwhelming for me. Uh, and then on the ball defensively has been really bad. Um, off the ball has been a little better. I think you're seeing he's pretty good at drawing charges in the lane and making kind of rotations and whatnot. Um, and obviously his rebounding prowess helps him there too, because I think that's part of that's part of the defense as well, securing the rebound there. Um, but yeah, just not the level of shot maker I expect. And obviously UNC being a being very bad this year has hurt him, but I think some of his struggles are, are very much independent of his his poor team contact. Yeah, do you think the NBA space will help out his cause a little bit once he gets there? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it'll help. Um, but still, his, his decision-making decision is going to need to improve for sure. Um, his finishing has been awful, but at the same time, he is forcing up a lot of shots in traffic where there might be a guy open. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe if it's not a, even if it's not a good three-point shooter, the mere kind of fact you have to kick the ball out and someone has to close out and you can swing the ball around generally gives you a better shot than if you're trying to shoot the ball over three guys in the lane. Um, so I think spacing should help. And he's he still has some incredible flashes as a shot maker, and a pull, as a pull-up shooter. Um, is really good at that step back going left. Um, I think I saw it once or twice yesterday against Virginia, or I guess on Saturday against Virginia. But yeah, the spacing should help for sure. But at the same time, he's going to get drafted to a team who probably isn't very good. And uh, teams are going to key in on him. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still definitely underwhelmed. I mean, I had him as my number one prospect. By a, I think I had him, had him as known, his own tier back in October. And now I think he's fourth or fifth on my board in a tier of like seven or eight players. So um, I definitely still am a general fan of him, but he had a long way to fall. So, yeah. And he had uh, some injuries this year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he tore his meniscus, I think, Oof. against either Alabama yeah. or Michigan, battle for Atlantis, and then played a few more games. But even then, like, I mean, his numbers haven't been great uh, since he returned. When you can, I was kind of using that as definitely giving him some benefit of the doubt playing injured. But even then, I mean, he struggled mightily against Florida State. He was pretty good against Duke. I didn't watch the whole Virginia game. I thought he was solid. Um, but even then, you know, the efficiency is nowhere near what you would, would want it to be. I think he has below 50% true shooting, which is just something I would not have predicted coming into the year. Right. I wonder if it would have been in his best interest to just shut it down after the injury. I mean, that's, that's not the worst knee injury you could get, but it's pretty serious. And he's already a – I mean, he's going to be a lottery pick. Yeah, yeah. I think part of it, too, is he's just a super competitive guy. And, right. Um, you know, playing for a storied program like UNC, you kind of want to maybe see if he could lead him back to the tournament or something. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. I think I, I've seen him kind of hover around that 6-7 spot on, like, ESPN's mock drafts, and they're usually pretty plugged into what the – the NBA is doing there. I think Sam Vecini, same way, has had him in that kind of mid-lottery. Mid um, it's been that way before and after the injury. But, yeah, but yeah I, I think that's kind of always a tough decision. And and then, you get maybe if he shuts it down, you get some of the questions. Like, does he really, you know, like the competitive questions, which are always weird to me. So maybe he's trying to avoid that. But, yeah, it's, it's certainly – I don't think it's, it's helped him to come back by any means because um, he hasn't really played better. I think, I mean, the Duke game was pretty good overall, but still had some, some bonehead decisions late that concern you as a guy you – 
you are kind of projecting to play as a, a lead ball handler. Yeah, guys who are really skilled do really well in the modern NBA. So I say that to ask you this. Do you feel that Nico Mannion is a better prospect than Cole Anthony as of now? I don't. Is he more skilled? I would say, yeah. I, would, I mean, in terms okay. of just like I, – I, I mean, I think part of skill is – I, if you fact if you don't factor in athleticism, which I think is more of an inherent thing, I would say yeah, Nico's probably more skilled, um, right. but he's such a lesser athlete, um, and I think that really kind of restricts a lot of his skills being functional. Um, I still prefer Cole because I think he's just a much better athlete, and Nico in his own right has been better than uh, than Cole Anthony, but I don't think by enough of a margin for me to prefer him. Um, has really struggled against good teams. I think I tweeted out on Friday or Thursday or something, uh, his numbers against top 100 teams. Uh, he has like a sub 50% true shooting. So, um, and a pretty, a fairly high turnover rate. Um, he's shooting below 40% from the field too. Um, he's at 32% from three. So he's by no means necessarily lighting it up like he was early in the year, uh, which is fairly concerning, but yeah, maybe from a skill perspective, just in terms of passing, shooting that and kind of general IQ, I think he's better. Um, but just Cole's a much better athlete, which I think really helps make his skills functional from an NBA perspective. From just an athleticism point of view, and obviously I don't, I'm not comparing their games. I guess I am, but how do you compare his athleticism to like a Trey Young, which he hasn't had problems translating, you know, to the next level? Uh, I think Trey was a lot quicker. Okay. Um, that was kind of his best, his best skill athleticism wise. Gotcha. And he, he had like kind of this ability to, even though he's small, he was able to kind of, use that to his advantage by getting in, getting through tight spots and getting the places on the court he wants. Obviously, working in Trey's favors, he has a deep range, too, so he doesn't yeah. have to be a fantastic dribble penetrator, uh, dribble penetration guy. Um, and Nico's just not showing anywhere near the kind of the confidence to shoot from that deep or the success like Trey did. So that's, I think, the biggest thing is Trey's super quick. Um, and he uses his kind of diminutive, diminutive frame to his advantage, whereas I think Nico, it allows him to, it, it hinders him a lot. He's not comfortable shooting in traffic off the dribble. Um, he struggles to finish against length, struggles to do a lot of things against length. Um, so those, that would be kind of where the disconnect arises for me. And then obviously he's just a much better passer. Nico's good, but Trey is, I mean, Trey's one of the best passers we've had in, in recent years as a prospect. How are Nico's shooting numbers? Have you ever looked at them? Yeah, he was, I mean, he was good in, he had, he was pretty good, like pre, like his AAU slash high school sample, I think. Um, I have the number somewhere, but I think it's like 35% from three, 80 something percent from the line. So pretty good indicators for 16, 17, 8 year old guy, but this year, I mean, he's he's at 45% from on twos, 32% from three, 83% of the line. So I, I do think he'll be a pretty good shooter, but by no means does he maybe look the part of an elite shooter that I kind of expected he might be when I had him top five on my board entering the year. So how do you feel uh, Tyrese Maxey's game will translate to the next level? Yeah, he's in. We're just we're rattling off the the point guards who have disappointed me to. <laughs> oh man. Point guards. But but I mostly like his game. He's super strong for a guard, especially an 18-year-old guard. Uh, has good balance, pretty quick. Uh, I do think he'll have some pretty solid uh, self-creation ability because he's so quick and strong. I buy him as a shooter. He's only shooting 30% from three this year, but again, pretty good touch on runners, shooting 82% from the line. Was a very good shooter before coming to Kentucky. And so I kind of like his ability to be a complimentary guard as someone who is an above-average defender at the guard position and then can create a little bit, also shoot off movement, off of screens. I, I think one of his bigger issues is he doesn't have a very good ball. He's not a very good ball handler just in terms of, like, getting where he needs to go. Um, I think that'll hurt him to an extent. Then a little underwhelmed with his decision-making. I thought that it was really good coming into the year. It was really something that popped when I watched him in, in, uh, in high school. Um, but I just think he struggled a little bit there. 
um, compared to what I expected. But he's someone I still like. I like him more than Nico, and I like him about the same as Cole. I think I have him and Cole, maybe Cole five and him six, still kind of in the back end of my first tier. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Maxi for the most part, and I do think Kentucky's trend and history of, of their guard, if it's guards having success, um, is a point in Maxi's favor for sure. Well, I don't think this next prospect I'm about to name uh, disappointed you. I know you cover Gonzaga heavily. Philip Perdusev, what has been more of a factor of his breakout season? Is it improvement or is it more the opportunity? Speak to Philip's game. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is opportunity, but at the same time, uh, he said this, and I think it's also evident on film, is he's just become more physical. Okay. Um, he said last year he struggled with that a lot and, um, there have been pieces written about it where he, you know, last year you got to battle with, you know, you get to battle with Rory Hachimura and Brennan Clark and, yeah. uh, Killian Tilly. And I think that helped him a lot in practice in terms of improving his physicality and his disposition. Um, so I would say that's the biggest kind of on-court improvement I've seen from him. Um, but then other than that, yeah, it's just opportunity. Um, Gonzaga does such a great job of developing its big men. I mean, you've just seen him kind of step up and emerge as a primary scorer. And obviously he was he's been huge the last few weeks. Um huge game to drag them to a drag them to a win against Santa Clara when Killian Tilly went down a couple weeks ago, twenty seven and twelve last night, and Killian Tilly didn't play again. So yeah, he he's been quite impressive this year as a scorer and I think the biggest reason for that, aside from just getting more playing time, is he's been willing to embrace contact and play through that contact, something he maybe didn't have last year as much. Where do you land on him in terms of NBA potential. I'm not super high on him as an NBA guy. Um, even though he is much more physical this year, he still struggled a lot against other kind of other NBA caliber big men. Um, just doesn't quite have the strength to get to his spots in the post. Uh, and then defensively, you just don't think he's there. Misses quite a few rotations as a rim protector. Um, mm. I think Gonzaga, I think they're like a top 40 defense, which isn't great. Uh, it's one of the lowest they've had in the last over the last few years. And I think part of that's because they don't have a great rim protector. I think Petrusha is, is largely responsible for that. Um, and while I think he shows passing kind of flashes, he still does get kind of the blinders in the post at times. Uh, and I, don't, I, I know he shot the ball. Um, I know he was a kind of a shooter pre, pre-college, but I, I don't really trust him to be a high-level shooter for a big man. So I think he's a pretty good college player, but I am fairly skeptical of him becoming a significant NBA contributor. Is he expected to put his name in the draft for the 2020? Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he did, if he was back next year. He put his name in last year just to kind of get get uh, feedback and see where he needed to improve. And I think, I mean, this year I think he's – I've seen him kind of as a mid-second round guy in a lot of the, the mock drafts that have Intel accounted for there. So, yeah, I'd be shocked if he came back. Um, I think he'd probably get drafted. And, he, I mean, yeah, he should not come back if he if he is a top 60 prospect. Um among NBA teams or what or NBA teams deem him as one. So I uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be floored if he if he came back. I I don't think it's something he intends to do and, and I expect him to get drafted. So Jackson, let's let's wrap it up with this. Who do you feel will be the best player in this year's NBA draft? Oh man, that's that's tough. There <laughs> there are not a lot of currently good NBA or players that also have kind of meet the athleticism threshold. Um, my top two guys currently are Killian Hayes and Onyeka Okongwu. They're both just incredibly productive and good players in their league, and they're young. And I just buy them being good NBA players in a way that I can't buy other guys. Um, the other guys I could see pa- uh, panning out uh, as the number one player from this class would be Lamelo Ball, um, Denny Avdia, Tyrese Maxey, Cole Anthony, um, Anthony Edwards. I think that's my it's the seven guys in my top tier right now. 
um, who I think all have the best chance, top seven chances, I guess, of uh, being the best player. Um, I think at his ceiling, probably Anthony Edwards is the guy. Anthony Edwards, Lamella Ball, but I have a tough time seeing their median outcome be better than Killian Hayes or Nyeka Kongwu. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's it's definitely been a tough year to, to analyze the draft because there aren't a lot of inspiring options. Great stuff, Jackson. Where can we follow you? Where can we find you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. Uh, a lot of basketball content there all the time. A lot of draft prospects stuff for the most part. Gonzaga content. You can find my Gonzaga work uh, at The Athletic. And then you can find my MBA and NBA draft work at Fansite. It's the step back and dime up rocks. Thanks, Jackson. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Combos Court and big shouts to Jackson for joining in. We appreciate you. Let me know how you feel about this episode right in the comments section of your Apple podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court. And share this episode with a friend, man, via social media or word of mouth. Take a screenshot of this episode. Post it on your IG stories. Tag me at 1-2-Combo. I'll repost it. Be on the lookout for episode 138. Combo out.